0: Good afternoon, America, and welcome to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen, and welcome to History 101. That's right, we are back in history class today. And we're back in history class because history is vitally important. You know it's true. It's vitally important for us as a people, as Americans, that we know the true story of our country. It's vitally important as a as just family members, that we know the history and story of our family. Um, I have always wanted to know where my family came from. It's just, it's ingrained in us to want to know the history of who we are. And as Americans, we want to know our history. And our history is under assault. It's under assault because there are, forces and powers at work that want to fundamentally change this country into something that it isn't. They've been wanting to do this for a long time. Yesterday, we started, we started History 101 here on the Dean's List by talking about the Battle of Long Island. If you missed yesterday's show, it's on podcast right now, and you should probably go find it. I mean, you don't have to... I guess listen to it before you listen to this. It's not like they're back to back in in succession on purpose, but go find it. Listen to it. Wherever you listen to your podcast, Spotify, uh, Pandora, I, I don't know, wherever you hear hear your podcast, you can you can log into americaoutloud.news. You can find my page, the Dean's list, and you can scroll down and you can you can find it there. On the podcast listing. It's an important show. It's an important topic because we need to know our history. And I feel like the Battle of Long Island is part of our history that has been removed. It's been depleted from the textbooks and it's happening on purpose because the story of what happened there at the Battle of Long Island is part of our history, and it's part of our foundation as a country. It, it it, tells the story of who we are. It tells the story of what we believed and who we believed in. We were a people who firmly believed that there was a God who was interested in our betterment, that there was a God who was interested in our lives and who was looking out for us. And that narrative is slowly being eradicated from the fabric of our history. I say slowly, it feels like it's speeding up. But it's been something that's been in the works for quite a long time. As I said, these stories were in our history textbooks until the 1930s. And then just they just disappeared. They just vanished. You know, we say that uh, the country really started to take a turn for the worst in the 1960s. People will say that all this began in the 60s. And it didn't really begin in the 60s. That's when it came to the surface. That's when it blossomed. But there was a foundation being laid. For decades prior to the 60s. And we could point to the 1930s when they removed these stories out of our history textbooks, when they stopped telling students about these stories where God would intervene, especially in the Revolutionary War, where God would show up, where He would cause a storm to keep General Howe's ships from coming up the East River, where he would cause that storm then to cease so Washington could get his boats across the river, and then he would bring this massive fog down as a covering, as a shield, so the, the escape could continue. I am telling you, you, you can't make this up. And for people who don't believe that that God is real, these types of stories are yeah, I don't know. Really? I don't. I mean, that's coincidence. That is coincidence. It's got to be coincidence. And I'm sure people you know, probably believe it was coincidence, but, but there was a time that this, this was ingrained in our culture. This belief was ingrained in our culture, and people didn't believe it was coincidence. They believed it was the hand of God. I personally believe it was the hand of God. I don't believe it was a coincidence. That the storm would start and then stop, and then fog would fall, and then you know the, the the Tory lady's servant would, who was rushing to British lines to let them know the Americans were escaping, that he would you know come across a, a portion of the lines where the the Germans were, were guarding, and the Germans couldn't understand what this guy is saying, and and, and finally hours later the British English speaking officers. Come in to where this this guy is being held captive, this servant, and they say, "What's going on?" And he's saying, "I'm trying to tell you, the Americans are escaping; they're fleeing the island." And by the time the British get to camp, you know they raise the alarm. It's true, we're gone, and they race to the shore, only to discover the fog has lifted and there, and there's Washington on the other side waving farewell to them. And all of the writings historically said it was providence. They attributed it to the hand of providence. And these stories are no longer in our textbooks, and they need to be. They need to come back. And we're bringing them back. We have to bring them back. On the dean's list, we're going to have history class every now and then. And it just so happens we're having it back to back this week. This is the anniversary of the Battle of Long Island, so it's an appropriate week. To have history class, and I, I should not have started the, the story yesterday, at the end of the show where Washington, uh, in 1755 on July 9th, he is part of General Braddock's uh, company. This is during the the French and Indian War, and they're ambushed by Indians. And I started that story, and I really should have waited, because I just couldn't, you know, do it justice in about five minutes. So I'm going to pick it back up. Welcome back to history class. We're picking it back up today. We're going to go back further in time. 1755, July 9th. Washington is actually fighting for the British. America is not America. We're still under uh, British rule. And Washington is part of the army. And they're fighting in the French and Indian War. And they are making their way uh, to Fort Dequesne when they're when they're ambushed by a group of Frenchmen and a a group of Indians. And this story is just profound. It's amazing because uh, General Braddock is mortally wounded. And every single officer is is shot, picked off, shot off of a horse, killed, wounded, mortally, all of them except one. And the one remaining is George Washington. He's the aide de camp and he he's he's you know riding around on the horse shouting orders. And he writes a letter to his brother, and I did read this letter yesterday. Almost two weeks later, after this battle, on July 18th, he writes this letter. And it says, But by the all-powerful dispensation of providence, I have been protected beyond all human probability, or expectation. For I had four bullets through my coat, and two horses shot under me, yet escaped unhurt, although death was leveling my companions on every side of me. And it's true. His companions were being leveled on absolutely every single side. As I said, he was the only officer left. But there's something even more interesting than just Washington's Letter to his brother. And that's what happens 15 years later. This would be about what, 1770. So it's even before Washington takes command of the Revolutionary Army, of the Continental Army in 1776. This would be in 1770, roughly 15 years after the 1755 campaign with General Braddock. Washington and a close friend. Dr. Crake, they're traveling through these same woods near the Ohio River where this battle originally happened. And they're met by an old Indian chief. And he addresses Washington through an interpreter. And you find what he says in Washington's journals, because it, it struck Washington. It struck him so profoundly that he had to go and write it down. I am a chief and ruler of my tribes. This is the Indian speaking to Washington through through an interpreter. My influence extends to the waters of the Great Lakes and to the far blue mountains. I have traveled a long and weary path that I might see the young warrior of the great battle. It was on the day when the white man's blood mixed with the stream of our forests that I first beheld this chief. And he's talking about Washington. I called to my young men and said, mark yon tall and daring warrior. He is not of the Redcoat tribe. He hath an Indian's wisdom, and his warriors fight as we do, himself alone exposed. Quick, let your aim be certain, and he dies. Our rifles were leveled, rifles which, but for you, knew not how to miss. It was all in vain, a power mightier far than we shielded you. Seeing you were under the special guardianship of the great spirit, we immediately cease to fire at you. I am old and soon shall be gathered to the great council fire of my fathers in the land of Shades. But ere I go, there is something bids me speak in the voice of prophecy. So this Indian chief is about to be prophetic to Washington. But before he, he essentially prophesies to him, He's letting him know, I, I was there that day, and I trained, I told all my warriors to train their rifles on you because there was something about you. You had this Indian spirit. You you knew how to handle yourself. You handled yourself the way we would handle ourselves. And I told all my warriors, train the rifles on you. Our rifles were leveled, rifles which, but for you, he said, knew not how to miss, <laughs> and then he's and then he's going to prophesy. He says, "Listen, the great Spirit protects that man, and he's pointing at Washington at this point, and guides his destinies. He will become the chief of nations, and a people yet unborn will hail him as the founder of a mighty empire. I am come to pay homage to the man who is the particular favorite of heaven and who can never die in battle. Holy smokes, did you know that an Indian chief had the spirit of prophecy come over him and he prophesied to Washington on this day in, in, in 1770, even before the Revolutionary War? You probably have never heard this story because you weren't taught it in our history books. There is no way that a Marxist system, a Marxist educational system is going to allow this story read to a group of of impressionable students in a history class, that this Indian chief comes to Washington And after telling him, our warriors had their rifles trained on you and could not hit you, he then prophesies to him. The great spirit protects that man as he's pointing to Washington and guides his destinies. He will become the chief of nations and a people yet unborn will hail him as the founder of a mighty empire. I am come to pay homage to the man who is the particular favorite of heaven and who can never die in battle. He he prophesied and said, Washington is the particular favorite of heaven and he will not die in battle. I wonder what this did to Washington. I wonder how many times he referred back to this. You know, he was a man who knew the Bible. He studied the Bible. He quoted the Bible frequently in his speeches, there are several Bible passages that Washington quotes. He had to have known that Paul told Timothy to use what was prophesied over you as a weapon. He had to have known that. Don't you think he knew that? And, and, and here this Indian chief basically says, uh, the spirit of prophecy is now upon me. He said, I got to read it again. He said, I am old and soon shall be gathered to the great council fire of my fathers in the land of Shadies. But ere I go, there is something bids me speak in the voice of prophecy. And then he he just prophesies over Washington. Do you think Washington refers to this at any point in time during the Revolutionary War? Because there were times and there were accounts where Washington just headlong ran into the battle. Uh, They're, you know, when they're fleeing New York, actually, after the Battle of Long Island, they're they're literally just being chased through New Jersey and they're just, they're on the run. And Washington at one point is imploring his troops, turn and fight. And he, you know, rides his horse headlong into the battle. And the men are just thinking, he is going to get taken out. There's no way it's over. He's going to get shot because he was just, oh, he was just going after it and he doesn't. He, he He's not shot. Of course, we know that uh, I just wonder does he refer to this to this prophecy at all? And isn't it a shame that this story is not told to our students? Isn't it a shame that they don't know the history of our of our founding fathers? This true history, the type of men they were, the courage that they had, the fact that that an Indian chief prophesied over George Washington and said, "You're the particular favorite of heaven. You're not going to die in battle." Uh, I just, there's more here. The famous Indian warrior who was in that battle said the following. Washington was never born to be killed by a bullet. I had seventeen fair fires at him with my rifle, and after all, could not bring him to the ground. These were uh, warriors who knew how to shoot the rifle. They were marksmen, and you know, this is this is close range. They're not they're not far away. These guys are ambushing. Washington and General Braddock's troops they're they're up in the they're up in the in the hills hiding behind trees it's an ambush I mean they're not that far away and this Indian warrior says I had I had him in my sights 17 times Washington was never born to be killed by a bullet I had 17 fair fires at him with my rifle and after all could not bring him to the ground four bullet holes in his coat two horses shot out from under him. This is a story that that our kids need to know. We, we need to know about our, our founding fathers. We need to know what they believed. Okay, we're going to dive into it a little bit more on the other side. Thank you for joining me today. It's history class on the Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio.
1: Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with CoFixRx. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? CoFix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Co-Fix RX is already famous. For a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone-iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new CoFix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the CoFix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUT LOUD 25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUT LOUD 25 at checkout.
0: Welcome back to the Games List. I'm Dean Bowen. You are listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio. You can hear us here on America Out Loud Talk Radio weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time or. Uh, download the, the app for your Apple, your Android, Alexa, and you can uh, listen to us that way uh, or wherever you find your podcasts. We are happy that you are along. We're happy that you're in history class today. We are discovering really how important history is and that it's being taken from us. It's being replaced with junk. It's being replaced with lies. It's being replaced with half-truths. Something is really in the works that would that would cause us to think that we're a different country. And this is the whole idea of, of affecting history, changing history, or, or, or excluding certain historical events and facts. They really cause us to think that we're somebody that we're not ultimately and don't we want to know who we are really don't we want to know who you know where we came from aren't you the least bit intrigued to that on a, on a personal level that you sometimes want to go to ancestry.com and just you know sign up and you know get the account and just start doing some research isn't there a little bit of intrigue there i i, I think we want to know who we are and where we came from so when my when my when my mom and dad were alive they my mom passed 12 years ago my dad passed 10 years ago i was in my 40s and my mom would always you know i would ask her the story about my name my name is dean and I, I would say, you know, tell me again how I got my name because it was just such a cool story to me. I don't even remember when the first time she told me, but she said our family came from—I don't know—I don't even know what country we came from. Uh, Ireland, maybe uh, Scotland. I don't know. England. I—I I, I wish I could remember. I—I I was too young to write things down. I mean, I wasn't thinking ahead, you know, in terms of, of really writing things down in, in, in that regard. I just love the story. And the whoever my great-great-great-grandfather was, his last name was Dean, and he was a fugitive. He was running from the law. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the deal was. I don't know if he was falsely accused or if he was correctly accused and just fleeing. Maybe he was a bandit. I don't know. But his last name was Dean. And he fled to America. And when he got to America, he wanted to turn over a new leaf. That's how the story was passed down you know, through our generations. And so he changed his name to Newman. And that was that's my mom's maiden name, as in Paul Newman. But the family name wasn't Newman. It was Dean, and when they came over, he wanted to turn over a new leaf. So he became a new man, and that was his last name, New Man, pronounced Newman. And so my mom, uh, her dad, his middle name was Dean, from the family line, and he, he, my mom's uncle or brother, you know, my grandpa's son, his middle name was Dean. And, and so Dean was just passed down through the, through the family. And so my mom named me Dean. And I just thought, man, that is such a cool name. I just, I love it. I just thought it was so sweet. I've always loved my name and, and, and partly mostly because of the story that's behind it. It didn't ever make me want to be a bandit or, you know, be on the wrong side of the law. I just thought it was cool. I just thought, yeah. There is something bad to the bone about this and I love it. it. It isn't that in us, aren't we? Aren't we the least bit intrigued, just a little bit, uh, to just want to know where we came from? What's our history? What's our story? What's our family story? What what did our grandpa do? What what about our great grandpa? What you know, where do we come from? my 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 grandma's name my dad's mom her maiden name was hunt so my cousin kelly and i started you know we were doing some research and we we traced the hunt line all the way back to the 1600s and it it, it gets kind of fuzzy at this point robert hunt is the minister on the boat at Jamestown when they land and, and he plants the cross in the beach and at there at Cape Henry. And and they they pray and they and they dedicate at that prayer, they dedicate that this land is going to that that all that who inhabit it, all who live here, the, the purpose is to send the message of Christ throughout. Now there's there's a couple different hunts. I I don't know that we can directly go to Robert Hunt. There's another hunt. There's two or three hunts. At, at that point, the line gets fuzzy. But the name Hunt is traced back there. And I just I love it. I just think this is so great. This is that 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 you know that we can trace our ancestry back. And I think as a country, as a nation. This is important for us to, to have the opportunity, to look look at where we came from, in all honesty, and the complete honesty of it all—the good and the bad. I I don't think we should. We should try to skirt away the issue of slavery, or try to hide from it, or run from it. It was a horrible evil, that was a part of this country. I don't think that. I don't think we can hide it. I mean, we have to talk about it. But we certainly can't paint it in the light that critical race theory paints it, or the 1619 Project paints it, that that the country wasn't actually founded in 1776. It was founded in 1619 when that first slave slave ship arrived. Uh, that, That is completely unfair to the accuracy of the history. Because if we're gonna talk about 1619, ultimately we have to talk about the pilgrims in Massachusetts who made it illegal for slave ships to show up on our shore. And when they did show up, the, the people in that colony put them on trial, arrested them, you know, put them in prison and when they complained we didn't know this was your law they said okay you can leave but don't ever come back you you go you leave these shores and you spread the word we're not going to have slavery here this is an evil and it's a plague and we're not going to have it it is it is a a large injustice for the liars at the 1619 project to say that the country was founded on slavery because of that slave ship landing at Jamestown. When the folks at Plymouth were like, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, no, we're not doing this. We are not, we're not a part of this. But unfortunately, it's a purposeful attempt to rewrite history and they're succeeding. Ultimately, they're succeeding. And we can't let them. We cannot let them rewrite our history or or interject lies about our history or exclude the absolute truth of our history, the truth of the Battle of Long Island, and how that retreat was miraculously put together by providence, by the hand of God, and the truth about George Washington himself. (laughs) four bullet holes in his jacket that day in 1755. And how 15 years later in 1770, an Indian chief comes up to him and says, you're the one. You're the one that I I had all of my rifles trained on. Every single one of my men, they had their rifles trained on you and we could not bring you down. And then the spirit of prophecy comes on the chief, and he starts prophesying about George Washington, how he's going to be this great leader of nations, and how he will never die in battle. And then one of the, the, the Indian warriors there said, I had 17 fair shots at you. I You were in my sight 17 times, and you would not come down. And then, you know, the Indian chief said, We I came to the conclusion that you were protected by the Great Spirit. And I just told my men, nope, stop firing. You're not going to bring him down. The Great Spirit is protecting him. And the fact that we exclude this from our history books is a great disservice to the young men in this country. The, The young men who need people that they can look up to. The young men who think of the the purpose that this instills in young men, the courage that this instills in the hearts of young men. And instead, we're, we're telling them, you know what, if you want to be a girl, go ahead and be a girl. I mean, that's fine. You know, little Johnny, if you want to use the girl's bathroom, you feel like a girl today, well, go ahead. Here, here's a document. You go ahead and sign your name right here. And then you tell us which bathroom you want to use. And you tell us which which locker room you want to use. And then you sign it. And then I'll sign it. And this document is just need to know. Only the people that need to know are gonna are gonna know. And your your parents, they don't need to know, right? Little Johnny? Well, yeah, I don't my parents don't need to know this. They don't need to know that I want to use the girls' locker room well that's fine little johnny your your parents won't know this and little johnny is missing out on just this this life lesson of and and this opportunity to have something instilled in him young men need need courage instilled in them they you know it's part of our dna but but we need somebody to <laughs> we need somebody to be there to to, to, to to put it in us. We need we need role models, we need people to look to. We absolutely need role models and people to look to. and our history is is chock full of individuals that we can look up to. But the Marxists that are, that are down the road at at the local school district aren't going to allow it. No, they're not going to allow that. We can't, as a as a nation, we can't let our history be destroyed. Now, I, I'm going to talk to fathers for a second. As, you know, men, <laughs> fathers, you have sons and you have daughters and they want to learn about your family. I'm sure they do. They absolutely do. But it is your responsibility to not only teach them about your family history, but to teach them about this country. We can't leave it up to the Marxist school teachers any longer. In order for us to take back education, we have to take it back. I mean, literally take it back. I'm going to speak to the dads for a second. You have got to start teaching your children about this country. Well, I don't know anything about this country. Then you have to start learning. You do. It is incumbent upon you as a dad, as a man, to start learning about this country. You want resources? I'm here for you. I will help you. Send me an email, dean at the And if you know it's it's quarter after two right now, probably 20 after something like that. I don't know, maybe 2:30. What time is it? I don't know what time it is. Uh, if 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 the dads are out working and mom, if you're listening to this broadcast right now, my email is dean at the and you know your husband needs some tutorials, send me an email because dads. We have to start teaching the true history and the true beauty of America. We, we have to. So I'm going to go back to, to Samuel Adams, October 4th, 1790. He's lieutenant governor and he's writing to his cousin, who's the vice president, John Adams. And he says, Let patriots unite their endeavors to renovate the age by impressing the minds of men. With the importance of educating their little boys and girls, of inculcating in the minds of youth the fear of the Lord, love of the deity, universal philanthropy, and in subordination to these great principles, the love of their country and the art of self-government. And and Samuel said to John that uh, we have to impress in the minds of men, the importance of educating their boys and girls and inculcating in their youth. Men, it is up to us. We have to do this because the the public schools are not going to do it. It is up to us. It's our call. Fellas, as as patriots, (laughs) people that love this country, we we have to do this. Well, you know my uh, my son, my daughter, they're in their twenties and thirties. They have a party, just to have throw a party and just say, you know what? Did you guys ever hear this story about? And then tell them a story about George Washington. Next summer at the Fourth of July. That's just that's too far away. Labor Day is right around the corner. Have a Labor Day picnic and And tell them a story about how great this country you don't have to you don't have to drop twenty stories. just find a story. Tell them one of the stories I've told you. Find a story when we get to Thanksgiving when we get to uh Veterans' Day find a story let's let's teach our children the true history of this country again. Ah oh, that just that excites me. I hope it excites you. We're going to pick it up on the other side. Thank you for joining me today on the Dean's List. You are listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio.
1: We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. out loud.
0: Welcome back to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen. You are listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio. America Out Loud is a leading voice in the rise of the new media. It is America's premier news network where smart people go to get their news and information. So, congratulations on being one of the smart ones. We are happy to have you on board, and I am happy and honored to to be on board. I'm I am honored to be a part of this network. This um, this network is it truly is a network that wants what's best for America. It is, it is pro it is as pro-America as it can get. And and that's what we need. We need we need a media that's going to be honest about America, tell the truth about America, but be pro-America, support America, love America. My dad, as I said, my my dad passed away 10 years ago this summer. And as I'm talking about the importance of fathers teaching their kids, not only their own family history, but really the history of this country, I'm, I'm reminded about my dad. And I, my dad loved this country. I never asked him why. I, sometimes I wish I would have, you know, dad, why, why do you love America so much? And And maybe I could have pulled some stories out of him. But he loved this country, and that love, I think, just spilled over onto me. I have you know, items that were his. He had a lot of eagles. He had this lamp that was a it, it was a touch lamp and it just covered in eagles. The kind of the strangest thing. He's got this this table that I actually have in my office. It's it's sitting behind me even as we speak. The glass table and the base of it is an eagle with the American flag. Uh, in his office, he had just several eagle f- figurines, and I ended up grabbing a couple of them. As you know, me and my siblings were were going through some things after he passed, and I just thought those eagles, I, I want those eagles. And he he just loved the country and and again that you know he never told me dean you have to love america whatever happens you have to love america it, he never said that i just got it off of him and i think that's how come i love the country so much is because he did i think it just rubbed off on me and that's part of what that's part of what i'm talking about in order for us to take back education dads, we we need to take it back. We have to be responsible for it. We can't leave it up to the K-12 down the road. It is up to us. These are our kids. This is our family. And we need to share with them why we love the country so much. What is it about this country that we love? And I think about my own dad and, and, and me being here now and having this opportunity to speak to America and almost just share my love for America with America. I know the Dean's List is a show about education. But it really is a show about America. Because education encompasses every single fabric of this country. It is, it's it's just throughout. It's It's through the veins. It's, this country is what it is because we educate our children in this way and i love this country so much that i don't want to see it lost because of the education and you know when malcolm and i were talking about this show he said what do you see for it and and i said i want it to be i want it to shine a light of truth on the educational landscape but i also want to offer hope I want to offer hope that that we can turn this thing around. And I said, there needs to be a national voice to do this. And he said, "You, you want to be the national voice? I said, absolutely, I do. And he said, let's do it. And so here we are. And I just, I'm just thinking about my dad. I guess I'm just being nostalgic for a minute. And maybe I'm just wanting to offer up a tribute to my dad because I just think he would be so happy. I really do. I think I think he would just be so proud. You know, my first show we talked about are the founding fathers looking over the balcony of heaven, and are they proud of us? The conclusion is no, they're not proud of us. But if my dad is looking over the balcony of heaven, I think he's proud of me That, that I am wanting what is best for this country and if i can scream it from the rooftops i'm going to do it and i think he would want me to do that i wrote a letter to my two children after my dad passed and maybe i'll read it to you because i i think it's you know while it's personal and it speaks of my of my dad I think it really, I think it speaks of all of us. You know, before I read it, there's there's a part in here that I I need to give you some backstory on. When I was nine, I think, nine or ten, we lived on a lake and me and my friends were out swimming we were out in front of our house we were swimming on the dock it was kind of out i don't know maybe you know maybe 20 30 feet off of shore and the water there was pretty deep and you know we would jump off the dock and and would never hit i don't ever remember hitting bottom and we would play this game called submarine tag and the 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 objective is there are there's one or two people on top of the dock all the other children swim underneath the dock. It was, it was kind of a dock that floated on barrels. So you could go underneath it and and your head could be above, you know, above water. All the other kids would swim under the dock. And then you would count, you know, one, two, three submarine tag, and everybody would swim out, you know, from under the dock. And the people on top had to look and see and spot. The the submarines, quote unquote, jump into the water and tag the person before they broke surface. If you tag them before they broke surface, they were it. And that was the game. So there are, you know, some of us out there and we're we're playing submarine tag, and me and another girl, you know, nine years old. We are we are it. So we're on top of the dock. And you know, we holler one, two, three, submarine tag. And the kids swim out and I, I spot my friend Kenny and I go to jump in the water. And one of the planks on the dock was brand new. They had just replaced it and it and it was still slippery. And I slipped when I hit that plank, and my feet came out from under me and I smacked the back of my head on the dock and it knocked me out. And I just I just sink like a stone. And nobody saw it happen because the, the other girl who was it, you know, with me on the dock shed her back to me. And and Kenny hadn't broke the surface of the water yet. So he he, he comes up, he he breaks surface, and he gets on the dock. And everybody, you know, breaks surface, they get on the dock. And but I, you know, they're hollering for me, Dean, Dean, come on, where are you? And they think I'm just messing around, that I'm under the dock. So Kenny jumps in the water and goes under the dock, and I'm not there. And he comes back up, and he says, Dean's not here. Dean's not here. And they start screaming. Kenny starts diving for me. I'm mean, Again, we're, we're, we're nine years old. I was actually a year older than Kenny. So he might have been eight. Maybe I was 10. I don't know. But uh, we're all that age. And Kenny starts diving for me while the girls start screaming for my dad, Mr. Bowen, Mr. Bowen, Mr. Bowen. And my dad is home and my cousin, who was also living with us at the time, and my dad takes off and jumps into the water. And, and, and as he runs downstairs to, to get to the water, my cousin says to Uncle David, what's happening? And he said, I don't know. I just know the kids are screaming. And so they both jump in the water. They're swimming out to the dock. At this time, you know, Kenny has found me and he has, you know, he's he's come to the surface. He's, he swims to the dock with me and the, the girls grab me and they pull me up onto the dock. I'm, I'm kind of fading in and out at this point. It almost just felt like I was dreaming. It was a very strange feeling. And my dad gets, you know, my, my cousin Kim got to the dock first. And she said, Dean, how are you? Can you know, you know, to talk to me and are you okay? And I just said, Kim, I can't move. I, I I can't move. I can move my head, but I can't, I can't move my arms, my legs. And she starts screaming, Uncle David, Dean can't move. And so my my dad finally gets to the dock. I guess I guess my dad was a slow swimmer. He finally gets to the dock. Climbs on the dock, and all Kim is saying is, "Uncle David, he can't move." And I, and I'm looking up, and I see all all of my friends. They're just kind of staring down at me. Everybody's crying, and Kim is crying, and my dad just calm calmly just told the kids, "Kids, stop crying. We're gonna pray." And he just put his hands on my head, and he just started praying. I don't remember what he said. <laughs> I wish I could remember. But then he put his hands on my shoulders. He put his hand on my elbows, kind of on my hips, uh, on my on my thighs, and just, you know, my knees. My kid, and he work, worked his hands all the way down to my feet. And when he was done praying, he stood up. He didn't ask me how I felt. He didn't ask me if I could walk. He didn't ask me if I could move. He just stood up. He reached his hand out, and he grabbed my hand, and he pulled me up. And I stood up. And he said, Kenny, swim to shore and get that rowboat. And we're gonna, we're gonna take Dean to shore. And I could move. And I never I, of course I never forgot that. And it's I guess it's just some backstory as I as I read this, I guess this tribute to my dad that I wrote to my my two children. Uh, Dear Elizabeth and Joshua, it's 5.10 p.m. on Thursday, July 18, 2013. I'm sitting alone in Aunt Davine's living room, watching Pa struggle to take his final breaths. I say I'm alone. Pa is here, but not really. He'll be leaving soon. I've watched him struggle and suffer over the past three days. He's gone from telling me he's thirsty, he needs to use the bathroom, he needs to sit up or lay down, to just sleeping and he's done it all while suffering. It seems he's been in pain almost every moment over the past three days. It seems like between his calls for water or needing to use the bathroom, he's been telling me how much it hurts. While sitting here watching him struggle, I came across this quote on a Ransomed Heart blog. It says, St. Augustine once said, the difference is not in what people suffer, but in the way they suffer. In the same way, fire, gold, and in the same fire, gold glows and straw smokes. In the same fire, gold glows and straw smokes. As I'm watching him struggle, I realize he's glowing gold in the fire. And I realize he's always glowed gold in the fire. This is what makes him who he is. It's his ability to glow in the fire. When I laid on the dock at the age of nine, unable to move from my neck down, he didn't melt. He didn't crack. He didn't break down. He was not smoking straw. He simply looked at the teary eyed children around me and he said, Kids, we're going to pray. And that's what they did. When the prayer was through, he didn't ask me if I could move. He didn't ask me if I could stand up. He didn't ask me how I felt. He simply stood up, reached out his hand for me to take. When I did, he stood me up and calmly told Kenny, go get the boat. He had every opportunity at that moment to be smoking straw in the fire. And he—and had he made that choice, I would be a different person today. Instead, he chose to be gold, glowing bright and hot. Solid, steady, firm, fixed. In the same fire, gold glows and straw smokes. His actions showed it but his words also showed it. He wrote in the front of my Bible the only words he ever wrote to me personally. That is, storms are going to come, but it takes both rain and sun to make something as beautiful as a rainbow. In the same fire, gold glows and straw smokes. This is his life lesson to me, to us. Life is going to be full of struggle and suffering. So what are we going to do with it? Will we glow or will we smoke? We will glow. This is our inheritance. Rising above the level of mediocrity, gold is not mediocre, and neither are we. On more than one occasion, I heard him cite Proverbs 13.22, which says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And he would always say how he wanted to leave money for all of us to live off of. But the inheritance. He left us was not wealth to use to buy things, but rather it was wealth and learning how to glow like gold, how to rise above the level of mediocrity. This is Pa's legacy and our inheritance. So live your life to the full and know how to stand during the storms, the struggles, the suffering, stand like gold, glowing, rising above the level of mediocrity. This is what he did. This is how he lived his life. And this is how he would have us live ours, glowing like gold. And I think that is true for all of us. I think it's true for Americans. I think we need to just glow like gold. I think we take education back. I think as dads, we stand up in our homes and we take education back. I think in our communities, we take it back. We have to glow like gold. We can't be smoking strands of straw in this country. We are going to stand firm and we're going to stand strong and we're going to rise above the level of mediocrity and we're going to glow like gold. It's the only way to do it. My friends, it is the only way to take it back and we're going to take it back. We love this country. We love it too much to stand idly by and watch it be taken from us we love it too much to stand idly by to watch our classrooms be turned into a something that it was never intended to be let's glow like gold i know we can. i know we can do it that's my tribute to my dad uh, I do think he would be he would be proud of me. I know I did love him very much and still do. And I know many of you feel the same way about your own fathers about your own children. So like Samuel Adams said to John let patriots unite their endeavors to renovate the age. Let's do this together. Ladies and gentlemen that's all the time we have for today. I am grateful that you've joined me on the Dean's List. Let's unite to renovate the age.